It was a very cruel scene, executed in an unusual manner. Cruel Coven. Hello, butterflies. It's me, a moth. <laughs> and it's me, Tori. <laughs> I'm the moth, Katie. <laughs> you're listening to Cruel and Unusual, the podcast. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Yes, thank you for being here. So, you guys, this week is a very big week in the United States. Yeah. Inauguration Day is this week. And we are, we're recording this before. So, I mean, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen it's scary. Yeah, it's really scary. It's really scary right now. I'm seeing all these photos and videos of DC on complete and total boarded up lockdown. Twitter has been going rampant. Katie has yeah. been seeing so many different things and, and texting me about it all over social media. I've been seeing on Twitter how people have left their homes yeah. and locked them up and are not coming back until like the 25th of January. Yeah, it's really scary. So we are recording this on Sunday the 17th. Inauguration day is Wednesday and this episode is coming out Thursday. Yeah. So we did not want to, obviously we don't know what's going to happen. Right. Besides hope, the fact that we're getting a new fucking president. Absolutely. We hope there's a lot of threats going around. Yeah. We sincerely, sincerely, sincerely hope that none of those threats come to fruition. However, we did not want to put out an episode on Thursday the day after Inauguration Day and just yeah. have it be a normal episode if something does happen. Right. So we wanted to put in here that we are thinking about everybody. We are so fucking sorry that this is what's going on when something so fucking monumental is going on too. Just stay safe, you guys. We just wanted to make sure that we were not posting like some funny, like lighthearted episode on Thursday without addressing this. Right. So hopefully everything is going well. But just in case it's yes. not. Hopefully it's gone smoothly by yes. now. Just know that we are thinking about you guys either way. And here's to 2021. Yeah. We are out with the old, in with the new, and we are moving forward. Here we go. We're Here marching on. We fucking go. <laughs> so just to kick things off this week, I wanted to say thank you to Tracy. Tracy is our brand new Patreon yeah. member. Yeah. So Tracy, thank you so much. Tracy has been around for a while now because she loves books and she loves true crime. She's cool as fuck and we love her. Yeah. Thank so you, Tracy. Thank you, Tracy. Also, we got a really sweet message from one of our longtime listeners. I think Maggie has been around since basically since the beginning. Mm -hmm. She, after the Michelle Blair episode, which was not last week, but the week before, she sent us a really sweet message on Instagram and I asked her if we could read it and she said yes. So I'm going to read that now. Okay. <laughs> Does it sound like an infomercial? <laughs> I'm going to read that now. Okay, so Maggie reached out and she said, Thank you guys for not totally shitting on child welfare workers in this one. I've been in child welfare for almost nine years and it's a hard job. Also, love the info on child abuse prevention. I work in prevention services and not many are aware of the work that we do to keep families safely together. You guys continue to be the absolute best. Aww. Isn't that, that just like when I got that message or when we got that message, my heart just burst into a thousand pieces for sure truly in a good way number one maggie thank you so much for the work that you do because that's fucking devastating i'm sure tough mm. as fuck i cannot even imagine the type of burden that you carry home with you every single night no i can't imagine i could never no. i could never do your no. job so thank god for you because it takes a very fucking special person to be able to see the things that you see hear the things that you hear and try and help these fucking families. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine. So thank you for doing what you do. You are a fucking badass. Um, and number two, thank you for listening to the podcast and being such an amazing supporter of the podcast. We love you so much. We love you, Maggie. Yeah. So we have some articles and then you're going first. So. Oh, we do? I yeah. forgot to get one. <laughs> well, no, I'm just sorry. kidding. <laughs> I actually have one that's kind of interesting. You know, I don't read them ahead of time. So let's hope it's good. Yeah. I just said it's interesting, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Is it interesting? We'll find out. Okay. So from the New York Times, this is, I think it was back from um, April of 2020, but I just, I think that, I think you're going to like this because the tagline or the headline, if you will, is, quote, arsenic poisoning at a church, a jewelry heist, and other cases that our reporters covered that have stuck with them. I'm sorry, was this 2020 or 1920? A arsenic jewelry heist. And arsenic and jewelry. They fucking loved arsenic. Back we know that. And a no, jewelry truly. heist? Truly, Shit. 2020. All right, I want to hear this. I'm going to be reading directly from the site. 
All true crime stories start as crime reporting, often in the daily newspaper. Before the narrative is shaped for your streaming device, earbuds, or bookshelf, the facts are gathered by a journalist. What happened? Where and when? Who was the victim? And do the police know who did it? Any journalist who has covered crime has stories they can't shake. These tales can be harrowing, bizarre, or even, in rare circumstances, oddly inspirational. I didn't hmm. see it going there. No. <laughs> I thought it was going to no. be like traumatic or right? something. <laughs> wow. Okay. We asked our journalists to share the ones they still think about even decades later. So maybe this was Ooh. from the <laughs> early Oh, early it, could, ages. it could be. Okay. <laughs> this one is from Ellen Berry, a Boston bureau chief. Someone put arsenic in the coffee after a church service in New Sweden, Maine, sickening several congregants and killing one. Oh. I was sent up there in 2003 by the Boston Globe to the far reaches. Oh, wow. I do not know that word. <laughs> Sound it out. Sound okay. It out. Okay. To the far reaches of a roostook. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm sorry, Aroostook County. It's spelled A-R-O-O, Aru, right? Yeah. S-T, Sta, right? Yeah. O-O-U. Yeah. <laughs> O-O-U. K, Aroostook. Yeah. Wait, ooh, yeah. <laughs> sure. I mean, we're just going to go with it. Okay, everybody in Maine, let me know how much I fucked that one up. It was both quaint and horrific someone trying to kill their neighbors. Eventually, it emerged that one of the ushers had done it as revenge for losing a theological battle. Wow. Oh. Church people, am I right? Dude, you <laughs> I'm can't, just kidding. You can't just, no. you can't just arsenic people. Mm-mm. Because you didn't, because of, of a theological battle? Well, that's like the, that's like irony at its finest. And like one of the very first fucking things you learn is thou shalt not kill. Exactly. Did Cain kill Abel or did Abel kill Cain? <laughs> I couldn't tell you. As the population in that area drained away, two small Lutheran churches were consolidated into one. Oh, I bet that. Was there was a clash it. of clans? Ooh, I bet there was a big ass clash of clans. Identical to outsiders, the two churches had what was for them a deeply significant doctrinal difference. Mm-hmm. In one, the priest faced the congregation when blessing the host. In the other, the priest faced the altar. Oh, Such come on. a big deal. Come on. The poisoner had lost that battle. He ultimately killed himself. It was a grim story about the dilemmas of those stretches of our country that are losing population, having to let go of their particular identity. Also, I didn't think Lutherans had priests. I thought that was just Catholic. I don't know. Maybe they're just using it as like a blanket term. Maybe. But, um, damn. Wow. This next one is from Nicholas Kulish, a domestic correspondent of Investigations. The century-old Cadave department store stands eight stories tall, but looms even larger in the German consciousness. A short walk from the old New York Times Bureau where I worked in West Berlin, the luxurious shopping destination is a symbol both of Berlin's Roaring Twenties, ooh, you like that, right? Mm. And the country's post-war economic miracle. So when I learned that there had been a jewelry heist with the thieves caught on the surveillance camera, camera lowering themselves into the store on a rope ladder like a fucking movie (laughs) yeah evading the motion detectors and making off with millions of dollars worth of jewels i knew it was a big crime story on the biggest stage so invigorating honestly wouldn't that be just be like mm, so could you imagine yeah your adrenaline going yikes doing like a limbo underneath the laser yeah shit a cartwheel over one of them Mm -hmm. i would fucking like like some charlie's angel shit my neck (laughs) same (laughs) my contacts in the berlin police department told me that the thieves had made just one mistake dun 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 they always seem to leaving behind a glove at the scene with dna inside what dummies Honestly, all of that hard work. You didn't evading, know your glove came off? Right. Or did it fall out of your fanny Or pack? did one of them do it so the other one would be caught? Oh. And then he made away with the jewelry. Good point. Let's read on. These are called inferences. <laughs> Class. Okay. <laughs> a good story needs a twist, but a great story boasts two. The DNA evidence led not to a single suspect, but a pair, identical twins, identified as 27-year-old Hassan Whoa. and Abbas. Oh, the German justice system uh-huh. couldn't lock them both up, and each could claim the other did it. Yeah. So they walked. 
Wow. It may have not been the perfect crime, but it was a pretty sweet alibi. Damn. Wow. I hope no one skipped over this part. Yeah. Because that was a good ass story. I didn't see that coming. Me either. Plot twist. Okay, Nicholas Kulish. Cool. (laughs) Love that. And I know I'm not saying your last name right, but sorry. Wow. Okay. That was pretty good. That was pretty that good. That would make, I don't know, I, I wonder if there's a book or a movie or something about that. There's going to be. <laughs> there is now. <laughs> Even though we'll never write it. <laughs> okay. Do right. you have an article for me? I do. This is from Oxygen Crime News. I, always, I love Oxygen's mm-hmm. thing. This was from January 6th of this year, 2021. It's written by Gina Tron. The headline is, Group finds decomposing body inside haunted house, which burns down soon after grisly discovery. Oh my god, Listen no. to this shit. Okay. It's all a quote. This is right from the article. Riley Robinson says he can still smell the rotting corpse found in a deep freezer at an abandoned home in Norway, South Carolina. Mm -mm. A group of South Carolina four-wheelers visited a house they deemed haunted over the weekend, only to discover a decomposing body inside the home's freezer. Wow. No. Yeah. Eight people were out riding four-wheelers near an abandoned home in Norway on Sunday when they decided to go inside, local outlet WSOC-TV reports. While the outlet describes them as adults, others have described them as a group of teens. The Orangeburg County Sheriff's Office has not responded to Oxygen's request for comment. While exploring the home, the group discovered a deep freezer on the back porch. An 18-year-old present at the scene decided to open up the freezer, only to make a grim discovery. He recalled to local outlet WACH that he got a whiff of what smelled like rotten meat. He also thought he saw a dead body in blue jeans and socks. The group halted their exploration and called local deputies instead. Investigators confirmed a dead body was in fact in the freezer. An identity and cause of death haven't been released. An autopsy is pending. Just two days after the grim find, the house burned down. The blaze is being considered suspicious. Yeah. So. I would say so. Someone stashed a body there and. Wow. They, word so got they out hadn't that, exhumed it? Like from the freezer? I don't know. Let's see. Oh, no, they did because it says an autopsy is pending. So, so I maybe want, there's other evidence there. Yeah, right. Hmm. Maybe the, the perp is worried that they left yeah. something there or. Oh, dang. Oh, my God. The home is a total loss, local outlet WLTX-TV reports. Quote, it was very scary. Madison Childers, one of the individuals who discovered the body, told WACH. You couldn't tell it was a person because I think it had been in there for months. Oh, my God. She added, there were maggots everywhere. It's likely a sight and a smell that the group will struggle to forget. Quote, I didn't know what to do. I was speechless. Riley Robinson, who was also at the house, told WASH. I heard that once you smell a human, you can't ever forget it. And I can still smell it right now. Yeah. End quote. Yep. That's true. Can you imagine? That's awful. You're just checking out. Like, you're expecting a ghost. Right. Exactly. Or some, like, footsteps. You don't go there expecting to see. An actual dead body. Oh. And that, I hear that's true. I've never smelled a dead. Um, I have, yeah. Human that's been sitting for. A yeah, long time. I haven't smelled one that's been sitting for but, like longer than a day. Yeah, but I mean, even that fucking smells. Right. Well, and I've smelled dead so, animals that have been there for yeah, a while and stuff imagine? like that. But a human, a and, decomposing yeah. for months. No, a my human. mom had to go on a, a call like that Mm-mm. one time, and it's true. She says it's so sad for that person and their family too. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll have to keep an eye out for updates to see if they can identify this person or what happened to them. God, that's terrible. They're just out fucking four-wheeling. In South Carolina. Looking for a damn ghost. Yeah, that was it. And that's what they got. But you know what? Maybe it will lead to an arrest or something. Right. And that person doesn't have to be forgotten. Right, exactly. So. I asked real quick in the Coven group on Facebook earlier... And we had a few questions, so I think we'll just do rapid fire. All right, I didn't look at them, so... Okay, good. Here we go. Rapid fire. Okay. Would you want to be a ghost after you die? Is there someone you would want to haunt, or would you just want to chill and be able to hear everything? That's from Chastity. Okay. I would like to be a ghost for a little bit, Mm -hmm. but I don't think I'd like to stay there. And yeah, I would haunt the fuck out of people. Yeah. 
and listen and listen yeah i'd be all up in their shit i would be like beside them with my butt up in the air and they wouldn't even know (laughs) you got a ghost ass in your face what are you gonna do nothing (laughs) what about you I you think I would answer? definitely want to to be a ghost and haunt people, but on my own terms. Right. Like if exactly. I if I become a ghost and I decide it's not for me, I think I should be able to put an X on it and get <laughs> right, out. Right. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. You got to be able to eighty six to ghost shit if if that's what you decide. Exactly. And you can't be stuck. So I wouldn't want to be stuck somewhere. Hell to the no. Okay. Next question. Rapid fire. Tracy wants to know if you were a haunt, would you want a TV show to hunt you? Oh, yeah. You can fuck with Zach fucking Baggins. Mm -hmm. Right? And you all know about my disdain for Zach fucking Baggins. (laughs) So I would haunt the shit out of him. Um, And Katie has a question, but we're going to save that one for next time. We're going to save Katie's for Mm. next time. Also, Angela has a question on Twitter, and we're going to save that one for next time, too. Okay. What kind of case do you have for me today? I'm dying to know. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys about the Lily Led murders. It's also known as the Kentucky Gothic Murders. Oh. And the Roadside Murders. There's three different names. So you guys might have heard it called three different things. I haven't heard it called anything. I don't know anything about it. Okay. Well, I'm excited to bring this to you. We're going all the way to Pikeville, Kentucky. Do you know Pikeville, Kentucky? No. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you about it. It's an old coal mining town. It said football games and funerals are two of the most important things that go on there. It's also been called a just a dot on a map. In the 2010 census, there were 6,903 residents reported. Okay, that's big. It's a lot bigger in comparison (laughs) to here. (laughs) But in comparison to like other places, it's small. Pikeville, Kentucky is home to the hillbilly days. Oh. Isn't that just fucking... Is that like our corn fest? Hillbilly days. Yes, it's like our corn fest. Yeah. Oh, honeys. The hillbilly days is exactly what it sounds like. This is a quote from the website. They have a website. Yes. Y'all be sure to come and enjoy one of the state's largest festivals. Since 1977, Pike County, Kentucky has been celebrating Hillbilly Days. <laughs> this internationally known annual event serves as a fundraiser to benefit the Shriners Children's Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. Aww. Held in downtown Pikeville, this is the one festival you've got to see to believe. Three, not one, not two, but three live stages of free entertainment featuring a wide variety of music genres clogging and square dancing i love clogging i know you do i don't do it i like to watch it uh-huh, and hear it men women and youngsters pick and grin while trying to outdo each other with their wild hillbilly outfits yes come join us stay the weekend in one of our great hotels from the hilton garden inn hampton inn and holiday inn to motels and economy lodging pikeville slash pike county features a wide range of accommodations that will fit into most any vacation budget i want to go can we go perhaps bring the children grandchildren friends and neighbors they'll have a ball while you're here plan a few extra days to visit other interesting attractions in our area such as the famous pikeville cut through project hatfield mccoy feud sites yes still cemetery where randolph mccoy and family members are buried the historic pike county courthouse and beautiful breaks interstate park featuring the largest canyon east of the mississippi as well as seasonal whitewater rafting People come from all over the United States and act like hillbillies and celebrate and just have a huge festival. Isn't that special? I want to go. You know that, what? You know I, what? I bet the food is impeccable. And honestly. so fattening. So fattening. And I, I am it. ready to be fattened up, honey. It's winter. Fried butter. Um. <laughs> I just thought that was fucking hilarious. If you guys are from Kentucky, or I mean, it's internationally known, people travel to that. I so want to travel of to you, it. I'm serious. Any of you may know about this. Have you been there? Do you know about it? Is it as grand as it seems? Did you dress up as a hillbilly? Did you? We want to know. It sounds just like Corn Fest. It truly does. Because you, you're supposed to dress up in your flannel and mm-hmm. your overalls and put your fucking Corn Fest button yeah, on. Truly. I mean, what's the difference? Um, I just... I saw some footage of the hillbilly days and it was just people walking around like in overalls with one titty out. Men, (laughs) men. It was just people walking around in overalls and like no shoes. Yeah. It was, it was just like something out of a movie, something out of Southern Illinois. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. You don't have to go that much further south. Truly. So I just thought that that was really interesting. That was just the fun part Mm. of the episode. Okay. All All right. 
Okay, so all joking aside, I really loved that the proceeds from the festival go to Shriners Hospital. Mm-hmm. That's really neat. I really, really like that. Um, and Wikipedia says that the festival serves to honor and recognize the heritage of Appalachia while poking fun at the stereotype associated with the region. End hey, quote I mean, from you, Wikipedia. Have to, you have to be able to poke fun at yourself. Truly. Everyone around here are hillbillies. We celebrate corn. Right. Corn. I've been called a hillbilly my whole life. Right. It's said that 99% of residents in Pikeville are Baptist. So whether it be regular, free will, Southern, general, they're just, they're Baptist. Mm -hmm. And in 1979, the coal mines in Pikeville started closing, but a little baby named Natasha was born. She actually had surgery as a young baby to repair a hole in her heart. And it was successful. Her mother, Madonna, was absolutely thrilled. But Madonna had some demons of her own. So Madonna Madonna is Natasha's mom. Okay. Madonna's first husband, Don Adkins, was an alcoholic who was abusive. At one point, he was abusing her and Madonna grabbed a one-shot shotgun and called the police. The police told her to do what she needed to do in the meantime and they would be there as soon as they could. She ended up firing a warning shot into his arm oh and it was never forgotten in pikeville madonna was always known as the woman who shot her husband despite doing it in self-defense right isn't that bullshit why isn't he known as the man who was a fucking prick to his wife right madonna eventually married another man ed wallen and that's natasha has had his last name they too ended up divorcing when baby natasha was only three years old natasha this whole time had thought that ed wallen was her father Okay. Until she was five when Madonna sat her down and told her that Ed was not her dad. So her dad is the one that mom shot? It's somebody else. Oh, okay. Okay. She didn't want kids in school to tell Natasha and she wanted her, she wanted it to come from her. Right. And Madonna said that her real father was a man named Roger Burgess who was a policeman in Pikeville. Oh. Yeah. Natasha later said that her mother lying to her about who her father was taught her that people lie and that they have the potential to do that to you. It made her lose faith in people. Mm. So that was from a very young age, five years old. Madonna said that her daughter would joke as she grew up that Ed wasn't her dad. Roger wasn't her dad. She wasn't a godsend, so she must be Satan's daughter. Oh, no. That's a direct quote. When Natasha was 10, this is 1989, Madonna, her mom, overdosed on sleeping pills, and she had to find her. Oh, my God. It was an attempt at suicide. Natasha totally spiraled. She said, after this, no one offered her help. The school didn't really care that it had happened. She didn't have a father figure in her life. Her mom survived. Okay. But it was just the act of seeing that and knowing that her mom was trying to overdose. Right. All that trauma and no help figuring it out or healing from it exactly as a baby oh yeah 10 years old natasha later said that she realized right then that it didn't matter how perfect she tried to be she was still going to be hurt and she was still going to be abused so she might as well let loose it said that madonna abused her too like physically yeah and just real quick before we go any further i want to put multiple trigger warnings in here eating disorders um self-harm child abuse and child death they just know that there's a lot of trigger warnings coming okay, up okay at the age of 14 natasha had dropped 30 pounds and was hospitalized for bulimia she attempted to slit her wrist and was forced to stay 11 days in a psychiatric ward of the hospital a year later at the age of 15 she had been prescribed lithium and prozac she also was on of, of her own accord mm-hmm. heroin ecstasy and acid wow yeah and how old is she 15. 15. 15 years old. Shit. Madonna said that Natasha started running around with friends who were into dope. That was her words. Okay. Natasha changed up her appearance, wore oversized clothing, army boots, wore dark makeup, and cut her hair. It was said that she did like that whole one side really short, the other side really long Mm -hmm. thing that was on trend for a while. She was described as a quote unquote goth. And that was incredibly out of the norm for Pikeville, a town of Baptist. Right. You know, like when we were growing up. Yeah. <laughs> and there was the quote unquote goth kids mm-hmm. and the quote unquote preppy kids would yeah. make fun of them. Right. Or just not associate with them. Yeah. And we come from a very small town, too. So there were all those stereotypes. And um, I can just imagine Pikeville being exactly like that our town, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. In 1993, Natasha started high school and became the leader of a group of friends who were basically known as the outcast. Natasha got close to a few fellow what are known and labeled in Pikeville as the goth kids. Joe, Karen, Karen loved Marilyn Manson, 
and her Same. mother <laughs> her mother thought she was possessed and made her stand for hours on a Bible. Oh, God. <laughs> Crystal and Dean. It was said that Natasha was kind of like the glue of the group, uh-huh. the ringleader of sorts. She later denies that, but that's what um, almost every other account is. Mm-hmm. Pikeville residents gossiped about the teenagers. It was like, it's a town of older people, right. older generations. Yep. And I'm sure when they would walk down the street, they would like lock their doors <laughs> and get out their guns, yeah. you know? judging for no reason other than that they had never seen that before exactly they looked different than yeah. them and they didn't understand why or how and mm-hmm. so they thought that they, they needed to it judge must be the devil exactly obviously which is just fucking sad mm-hmm. the group would go into tunnels in town play with the ouija board and also play dungeon and dragons natasha reportedly would write ah satan in the tunnels which is her name backwards oh which is just ironic yeah So they went to a high school called Betsy Lane High School. Natasha ended up going to her principal when she was being bullied. She said, quote, he pretty much told me I deserved what I was getting because I was a freak. Oh, okay. Isn't that disgusting? She ended up dropping out of high school because once again, no support. Right. By the year of 1995, so two years later, she had been arrested. She wrote bad checks and was on probation. She got married to a man named Steve Cornett on her 17th birthday, Mm. and they were married for 10 months, I think six of which they were together before Steve left her. Okay. Um, And after that, she moved back into Madonna's home. It was a mobile home. And this is where a lot of her friends hung out. It was like the spot, Mm -hmm. a place where they could go to be themselves, do whatever they wanted. It's reported that Madonna didn't really have any rules there. Either that or Natasha just blatantly didn't care and Madonna couldn't control her anymore. Right. Yeah. So Natasha, Karen, and Crystal have all said that they grew up in violent homes and experienced sexual abuse from young ages. Crystal's home was so bad that she moved in with Natasha at one point, and Karen had also dropped out of school. The boys in the group were kind of there by, like, default as boyfriends. Mm -hmm. It's said that Natasha was dating Dean at one point. Karen was dating Joe at one point. It's said neither had records of the time. Neither of the boys had any kind of record. Okay. Sometimes the group would gather at the Kali Motel, and there was a man there who reportedly committed suicide in one of the rooms, and the group wanted to go there often. They performed seances there. They were very into... It's reported that they were very into the occult. Mm -hmm. Um, Later, some of them deny this, but it's what's reported. Yeah. It's said that they would cut each other there and cut themselves there and then drink each other's blood. Natasha later said it was a way of bonding. I mean... Depends on who you can't ask, get much right? closer to someone <laughs> other than drinking their blood, <laughs> which we don't recommend. We don't recommend that. Another friend came into the group, and this friend's name is Jason Bryant. The group had kind of randomly found him out wandering on the street one day Aww. and just picked him up. And that sounds really weird. It sounds like he was an animal that well, was picked I up. I mean, but they took him in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, he was only 14 oh, when dang. he was introduced to the group, so yeah. way younger than the rest of them. It's also reported that he had an incredibly low IQ. Mm. He said he came from a broken home and that he was drinking by the age of three. Oh, my God. Isn't that like how? You don't even like know how to drink normal stuff. Maybe that's all he had. Exactly. It's just so sad. That's pathetic. Mm -hmm. It's also said that he was doing drugs by the age of nine. Mm. He was actually on parole for stealing his sister's vehicle. So Jason was really the only like newcomer to the group. The rest had kind of been close for a little while. Okay, let's fast forward to April 5th of 1997. They had another party at, at the motel, which was kind of like a regular thing. Every time that they could scrounge up money, this mm-hmm. is what they would do. That was like the spot to go that was not Madonna's house. Right, right. You know, later on, a manager had said that that was the kind of motel that people paid for by the hour, if you oh, know what I mean. Okay. Natasha said some of her group wanted to mess the hotel room up, like pouring beer on the floor and on the beds. They trashed it, but they actually set it on fire. Some reports say that they tried to burn 666 into the floor. Later, Jason's sister said that that was not true. They did not try and burn 666 into the floor right. because she saw the room. Yeah. Who, who do we know? Who, who do we believe? Right. We don't know. That's just what was reported. Yeah. Okay. So April 6th, th- the next day after the trashing of the hotel room. Okay. This is when Natasha decided she was done with Pikeville. She was over it. She was getting out. And what ended up happening, they must have all gathered as a group. Joe took his mom's car. 
He said that they were going to go on spring break. Oh, okay. So his mom let them use the car. So the group consists of Natasha, who's 18, Joe, 20, Jason, 14, Dean, 19, Crystal, 18, and Karen, 17. Okay. So Joe gets his mother's car, which is a blue Chevy Citation. They all pile in. And they actually, so what was said was they wanted to get out and go to New Orleans. Okay. Stephen Owens, an attorney, later said that they wanted to find Anne Rice. Oh. And she's an author. Um, yes. The vampire author. Yeah. She's written some vampire books, gothic fiction, Christian literature, and erotic literature. Before leaving, they went to Karen's house and stole some money and a twenty-five automatic. They then borrowed borrowed a 9mm from a friend. They stopped at Jason's house, and his father tried to stop them from leaving. Jason is a 14-year-old. Mm-hmm. He even called Jason's probation officer, but he wasn't able to stop him. It's also reported that the group told their friends that they left behind to watch the news, that they'd be on it. Wow. Mm-hmm. So the real motive behind them leaving, I'm not sure it was to see an author. Mm-hmm. On April 6th, they left for New Orleans with Joe driving. They were pulled over at one point near Gate City, Tennessee. The officer didn't know that the group had weapons or that there was a 14-year-old in violation of parole. He ended up telling them to go on ahead and to be careful because there was another cruiser up ahead. Oh, dang. Mm -hmm. And they just went on their way. Yeah. On their merry way. So let's switch lanes here for a minute. I want to talk to you about the Lilyled family. We have Vidar, who was 34 years old at the time, and Delfina, who was 28 at the time. They were married in Miami and had two children, Peter, who was two, and Tabitha, who was six. Vidar had immigrated from Norway in the 1980s, and Delfina was a first-generation Honduran-American from New York City. They actually moved from Miami to Powell, Tennessee to escape the notorious violence in Miami. The family was said to be extremely hardworking. Vidar was a busboy at a Holiday Inn near Cedar Bluff in West Knoxville, and they had spent their weekend in Johnson City at a church convention for Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. They were very dedicated to their faith. They decided on their way home from the convention to stop at a rest area for a little picnic. Um, I'm sure being in the car with a kid who's two and a kid who's six was like, just let me get somewhere and get out of this car for a little bit. Fuck yeah. They had a very nice time with their little picnic. And when they were finishing up, a blue Chevy Citation pulled into the lot. So really quick, I want to break this down. If you don't know much about Jehovah's Witnesses, they are most known for their door-to-door preaching efforts. Mm -hmm. Katie, you have some friends, some Jehovah's friends. I sure fucking do. (laughs) They send me handwritten letters and everything. Yeah. Okay. So quote, as their name implies, Jehovah's Witnesses are well known for their intensive witnessing or what's known as proselytizing efforts. Witnesses generally refer to their proselytizing activities by terms such as preaching, disciple-making, service, the ministry, and more formally but less frequently, evangelizing, Mm -hmm. end quote. And that's from Wikipedia. I'll never forget when um, a few of them came to our door, Uh knocked. Jackson was probably like three or four, and he had been playing like (laughs) make-believe. Yeah. And he opens the curtain and looks out there, and he goes, the witches are here. (laughs) It was Halloween time. I will never forget. They left. They just left. Little Jack. Hilarious. And I know they heard him. I'm sure. (laughs) The witches are here. (laughs) It said that Vidar was no stranger to reaching out and talking to people that he felt needed to hear the ministry, which is exactly what his faith does. Mm -hmm. And when he saw the group of six young adults all shuffling out of the Chevy Citation, all wearing black and looking Mm. quote-unquote goth, he decided he should talk to them. So he approached Natasha first, and he asked if she believed in God, and Natasha said no, which probably only provoked him even further Mm -hmm. to then share the word of God with these six teenagers. Oh, yeah. It's thought that since Vidar and Delfina and the kids had just left that convention, they were probably feeling on top of the world, super hyped up. If you've ever been to any kind of convention or like meeting of the minds for whatever mind you have, (laughs) whether it be spiritual or for work or whatever, you probably know that when you leave, a lot of times you feel like almost like renewed, right? Yeah. And it's fresh in your mind. Yeah. And you just feel positive and like ready Mm -hmm. to go and go out and change the world. And it's thought that that's probably how the Lily Led family felt 
at this point, too. Mm -hmm. Vidar started speaking about God, and Joe started communicating back with him about Christianity. Natasha quickly was like, what the fuck? You're agnostic. Like, why are you entertaining this guy? And Joe and Vidar got into a discussion, a deep dive, if you will, and Jason ended up joining in the discussion along with the rest of the Lilyland family. Tabitha offered her Hershey kiss to the group, the little girl. So cute. Baby. It said that Karen smiled at her. And then she offered yeah. Natasha and Karen Hershey kisses. Aww. So they have the discussion about faith in whatever form, right? Mm-hmm. So if just in case you haven't already assumed this, it turns out that the teenagers were entertaining the Lily Led family, not because they wanted to learn more about God, but because they wanted their van. Oh, yes. The Lily Led family. Yes. Yeah. I well, am like it, that. <laughs> it could be because you didn't know they had a van. That's true. <laughs> Good one, Tori. <laughs> You're okay. trying to just fool I'm just, us. You're I'm to just fool trying everyone. to stump all of you. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, they had one of those big ass conversion vans I that were really those. popular in the 80s and 90s. Your yes. grandma had one kind of like that. My grandma had one with a built-in TV and mm-hmm. a couch and curtains. It was fabulous. It was bomb. Natasha later said that she was the first one of the group to suggest that they figure out a way to get that van. Okay. So essentially what ends up happening is a gun is shown. And these six teenagers kidnap the entire Lily Led family. In the family van, there's Natasha, Jason, Joe, and Karen, along with the family. And Jason is driving, and Vidar is sitting in the passenger seat. Fuck. The remaining of the group drove in the Chevy. Oh, so they, okay. Yeah. It said that the group, even though they showed them the gun, and it said that Joe showed the gun. To the family, to Vidar. Okay. And obviously Peter didn't know what was going on. Tabitha suspected something. Delphina and Vidar were quickly nervous, upset, freaking sure. out. It said that the group kept assuring the Lily Leds that everything was going to be fine, that they just needed to get somewhere to get take the van and leave. Leave you know? them somewhere. Yeah. yeah. However, that would not be the case. Because only 10 miles away, gunshots were reported. Mm. Multiple gunshots. 17 shots in all. Wow. There were houses not far away from a road that they were hearing this on, and they called into the Greene County Sheriff's Department. A deputy was sent out to Payne Hollow Road, and shortly thereafter, they found the Lilyled family on the side of the road. Uh, all of them? Yes. Vidar and Delphina were already deceased by the time the officer arrived, and the two children, Peter and Tabitha, were still alive and uh-huh. airlifted to a hospital in Knoxville. Sadly, Tabitha passed away the next day at only six years old. But Peter survived. He lost one of his eyes. Uh-huh. And he had a bullet that nearly missed his spinal cord. Oh, fuck. Let's talk about back at the scene when it all happened. The family had been found laid out like a cross. Wait, how? Yes. So Vidar and Delphina were laid out like horizontally and then the kids were laid over them. Oh. The other way. That's fucked. Yeah. Wow. Delphina had a like, so the kids were like laid out over their chest, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So Delphina had a triangle gunshot design on her left side, possibly shot as many as eight times. Wow. And Vidar had a triangle on his right side. Which, when put together, makes a pentagram. Yeah. So, like, like bullet holes yeah. in the shape of, of a, triangle. a triangle. Okay. And Vidar also reportedly had shots in his chest and in his eye. It's also said, and this is really heartbreaking, and I didn't even want to put it in here because it just makes my stomach sick, but it's also said that Delphina was potentially alive long enough to witness her children being shot. <sighs> Isn't that just, like, it just makes me hurt. Yeah. Hurt so badly. And she was 28. Yeah. And Vidar was 34, just to remind you. It's just so fucking sad. For me, it's all they had to do was leave them on the fucking side of the road. Right. Exactly. Alive. And take the van. Exactly. Why is it necessary? And if that all wasn't enough, as if that wasn't enough, they also ran them over after shooting them. Down the road, police found the blue Chevy Citation, abandoned, with no license plate on it. But what they probably didn't know, the kids, the teenagers, was that the vehicle didn't need a license plate. Because you can also... It's got a VIN number. Because it can also be traced by a VIN. Yeah. Which was on the car. Right. But you can't, you know, you can't really run from that. And probably everything that they left inside of it. Right. You know? 
A witness later said that he heard the gunshots and then what sounded like children laughing on a playground. Mm. And they don't think that was Tabitha and Peter laughing. Right. Because up until that point, like when they were there debating what to do, Tabitha was bawling, crying, so scared. Vidar, it was it was just so sad. And I think you'll hear a little bit of it unless I cut it out in the testimony or at the trial. Yeah. But um, Tabitha was just so scared. So authorities dug into this car. And they looked up the VIN, and they found the owners, which we know to be Joe's parents. Mm -hmm. And by 11 p.m. on April 6th, the authorities knew that the Lily Lids were the victims. And they also knew that the Chevy Citation was not their vehicle. They found out that they owned a van, so they knew someone had their van. Right. And All Points Bulletin was put out nationwide in hopes to figure out the correlation of the family and that blue Chevy Citation. Madonna, Natasha's mom, if you remember, saw right away on the news. Um, And she was pretty sure that that vehicle was Joe's family's car. Police were able to find out and trace that car to Joe's family. So they had a starting point to begin the investigation. It did not say Madonna told them. Oh. So I don't know. Jason's dad, though, went right down to the station after seeing the news as well. Wow. And if you remember, Jason is one... Jason's dad is the one who tried to stop them from going Mm -hmm. and tried to call the probation officer. So police knew that they needed to find that group of kids or teenagers, I shouldn't even be calling them kids. They, they were teenagers and even adults. Mm-hmm. And that they must have had something to do with the death of the Lily Leds. So the police question Madonna. She tells them that she was fairly certain that the group was headed to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. However, the group ended up being apprehended at a border crossing in Douglas, Arizona on April 8th. So oh. totally different direction. Yeah. Um, they had decided to switch where they were going, driving on or towards Route 666 mm. after murdering the family. Of course. Okay. The Douglas computer system had been down that entire day, but when the immigration officer typed in their number, the computer somehow worked and the all points bulletin popped up. Some people in Pikeville believe that that was divine intervention. Not only were the group of six driving the Lily Led's van, but if we needed more proof... A few of them had taken trophies from their victims. Stupid. Crystal had their house keys. Karen had Peter's social security card and potentially Tabitha's diary. Natasha had a photo of Tabitha that said, from your dad, on the back. Mm. It's just sick. So sick. So on April 15th, the group was extradited from Arizona to face their charges in Tennessee. And there was an entire host of people waiting for them outside the Greene County Jail. They were screaming obscenity, saying they should be hung. There was a diner that had a lynching post set up with six nooses. Oh, man. Yeah, the public got very defensive very quickly. Yeah. All six of the teens were charged with kidnapping and first-degree murder. It's thought that it was an initiation or a ritualistic killing. Natasha's lawyer said that she was possessed by the devil or demons, and it was their plan to plead insanity. That was their avenue to try and avoid the death penalty. Now, Jason and Karen were not considered adults yet. They were still minors. Mm -hmm. Jason, extremely a minor at 14. Right. And Karen was still a minor at 17. However, a hearing in July proved that they could be tried as adults. And prosecution was seeking life in prison for these two. So even though they were being tried as adults, they still couldn't get the death penalty. Right, right. So they were still, but they were seeking life in prison. The prosecution wanted to seek the death penalty for the remaining four of the group because they were all considered adults they were all over the age of 18 during the trials it was found out that joe placed a gun on the picnic table like i told you earlier Mm -hmm. and told the family that they were going to take their van and the family would need to go with them too which is why he drove the van not until both guns were empty of bullets did the group blast marilyn manson from a cassette tape and drive away neither of the guns were ever recovered In February of 1998, during sentencing, each of the groups said they were surprised that the family was murdered, and they all pointed their finger at Jason Bryant, the 14-year-old, the newcomer to the group. Come on. Mm Mm-hmm. They all said that he was the one who fired every single shot. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. And he was a good target because he was 14 years old. He was practically a baby. Mm Mm-hmm. And he couldn't receive the death penalty. Right. So the DA office ended up offering a deal. If they, by they, all six, pled guilty to first-degree murder before the court, they could show whatever proof they wanted in front of the court in order to receive their punishment and sentences. 
The DA made the offer contingent on every single member of the group accepting the deal. So each one accepted. Some said that they were railroaded, like some of the community, like their friends, not the Pikeville Baptists, but Mm -hmm. some of the group's friends said that they were railroaded. Some didn't know why the two minors, Jason and Karen, would agree with that plea deal because they couldn't have been given the death penalty anyway. So if anything, if they would have went to trial, they could have gotten off easier than life in prison. But some people also say that there was no reason to go through an entire trial when they wouldn't be found not guilty anyways. Right, right. So one by one, each teen, adult, minor, all of them, took the stand and said that Jason shot the family. Some of them cried. They all apologized, remained true to their statements that they didn't kill any of the family members. Each of the group members said that this didn't have anything to do with an obsession of the occult, but with their need to get the family's van. The prosecution basically labeled Natasha as the ringleader of the group, which has been said multiple times now. Natasha's attorney said that she was influenced by the movie Natural Born Killers. It said that she wanted the group to go out on some cross-country murder spree, but she adamantly denies this and denies being the ringleader of the group. Natasha said again that Jason was a lone shooter and that she pleaded with him. She pleaded with him not mm-hmm. to kill the children. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then Jason himself drugged their bodies and mm-hmm. put them into a, a cross and yeah. Okay. Sure. Karen got up on the stand and verified Natasha's statements. Jason got up on the stand and said Joe and Dean fired the shot. So Jason, the one who is everyone else accused, yeah. is accusing Joe and Dean. Okay. Joe got up on the stand and testified that Jason was a lone shooter. It was basically the group against Jason, right, which we all right. know by now. Jason was 14, the newest, the easiest. That's just my... Obviously, no one knows. Right. The only people who know are the Lily Led family, and the only surviving one was two at the time, and the six who were there. Right. Right. And there were two guns used. Right. Two guns used. Yes. I'm going to play just some quick audio from the trial. This is Natasha and Karen, uh, kind of like a, a montage. Okay. The door, take out his wallet, and said, take her money and take the vans. Don't hurt us. Jason was asking Joe, what do you think we should do? Do you think we should let him go? Or do you think we should kill him? And Joe said, I don't know, man. What do you think that we should do? And he said, I think we should kill him. I remember Natasha, like, trying to make Jason promise not to hurt the little kids and sort of begging Jason not to do it. And and he just wouldn't listen. And I knew somebody was going to die. So I walked over in front of the family and, and I told them that I couldn't stop him from killing someone. What do you see? 
I mean, you try not to think about being in that situation, but I just, like, put myself in that situation if I was them and, like, with my child. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just so fucking terrifying. I don't know what I would do. Part of me does wonder if it was them egging Jason on and if it was some kind of initiation of sorts. Right. So maybe he did do, but he was also 14. Right. And I'm not making excuses for him, but I'm just saying if this is the situation. Yeah. He's 14 years old and he has a very low IQ. Mm -hmm. And this group of friends that he's come to know. Who are older. Who are adults. he's looking up to. Exactly. Maybe they were trying to just initiate him into this group. Yeah. And it fucking went out of control. God, it's so hard to know. Because if you feel that fucking bad, like they're all sitting up there crying. Also, the male voice that you heard was Joe. Yeah. But like, were the girls being manipulative? You don't know if the girls were being manipulative or if they were scared. Yeah. Or if they were genuinely sad or remorseful. You don't know. Right. Was it was it real? Yeah, exactly. Were were those emotions real? You don't know. You have no idea. And you don't No one knows what happened. So what ended up happening, you know, at the end of everything was each of them received life in prison, all six, and they all avoided the death penalty. Now, in 2000, there's been a couple of different bills that have been tried to be been passed. Mm -hmm. In 2018, there was some kind of bill in Tennessee that would allow parole eligibility to minors who had been sentenced to life in prison. Mm -hmm. I was doing some digging on this because I couldn't find true concrete information about it. And I came across this article from the Tennessean and it's titled... Lawmakers to re-examine Tennessee's juvenile sentencing laws after Centoya Brown case. And if you're in the coven in the group on Facebook, you know that early in the morning on Sunday the 17th, which is today, I posted asking like just a little discussion post Mm -hmm. about if you think that minors who are given a life sentence, if they should ever be eligible for parole. Mm -hmm. And... It was all pretty much case-by-case basis, which is what I figured the most of them would say. But ever since the whole Centoya Brown case and what happened to her and the self-defense and all of that Mm -hmm. that blew up, they are kind of looking at these older laws and seeing if they should be reevaluated. Right. So this article says that Governor Bill Heslam... I'm sure that was wrong. I don't know. And I'm sorry. His decision last week to grant clemency, this is an old article, to 30-year-old Centoya Brown has prompted renewed scrutiny of Tennessee's uncommonly long sentences for juveniles convicted of first-degree murder. So this is when they were looking into it um, after 
her conviction was overturned. Mm -hmm. It said that there are 119 other men and women in Tennessee prisons convicted since 1995 for crimes they committed before their 18th birthday who are serving the same mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole, Mm -hmm. according to the Department of Corrections. Some were as young as 14, such as Jason, at the time of their crimes. Tennessee's mandatory 51 years behind bars before a chance for parole is among the longest in the nation. For first-degree murder, there are three sentencing options. The death penalty, life in prison with no possibility of parole, and life with possibility of parole after 51 years. For the past three years at the time this article was written, efforts by some state lawmakers to lower the mandatory minimum time served before chance of parole to 15 or 25 years has failed. The article actually even mentions Karen Howell and um, Jason Bryant. And the article ends with the quote, we've got a new general assembly and we will see where everyone is at. But I'm in agreement with Governor Haslam on Satoya Brown, the 16-year-old girl sentenced to life was too harsh, White said. I think the conversation around Satoya has opened it back up, end Mm -hmm. quote. So, I mean. Yeah, I do think it, it, it depends on the case. Yeah. But... What happens, like, she was 17. Karen, was it Karen? Karen was 17. 17. Mm-hmm. How long before she turns 18? Right. And, right. and now she's an adult all of a sudden? Right. It just, uh, it's just, it's so strange. hard. And it's, I wouldn't hate to be the one making those decisions. It's a very fine line. Um, but 14, fuck. Your brain's not right. fully, fully developed. Right. Well, you're 17, 18, 20. It's not fully developed. No. You're, don't they say you're like around the age of 25, 26? Something like that. Yeah. Just, uh, I don't know. That's so fucking I hard. Know. It's such a fine, fine fucking line. There was another article from 2017 when I was researching that I found. And it said, convicted Lily Led Killer denied motion to reopen case. Um, Karen Howell was denied her chance to have her case reopened. A hearing was held that Friday morning in Greenville to consider the case of Howell, who recently penned a letter asking for forgiveness from the Lily Led family while asking the judge to reconsider her life sentence. Mm. Her attorney had said a recent Supreme Court ruling that called juvenile life sentences unconstitutional could impact her case. Mm-hmm. So obviously at this point, the law is still, right. they're trying right. to figure this out. The article goes on to say that Karen Howell was wanting her case reconsidered in order to trigger a post-conviction hearing, according to court officials. A federal appeals court refused to hear an appeal from Howell in 2013. This is from 2017. She cited in her complaint that she received ineffective counsel during her trial. So that was as of 2017. I mean, we've talked about right. the 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 system. Right, right. And how and broken it is. If they would have had help from the very start, right. Would it have even happened? Would the Lily Led family still be alive? Right. The the you know, Vidar, Delfina, and Tabitha. So yeah, it's it's sad all the way around. It's terrible. Um, though I'm sure people want to know about Peter. Yeah. And Peter was last living in Sweden. Oh, good mm-hmm. for Peter. Yeah, Aww. living with his grandparents, and Aww. he's the only survivor. Yeah. He does come back to the U.S. sometimes to see okay. other family members, and I actually have some photos of him. Okay. That I'll share in the group, and we'll probably post on with our other pictures, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he looks great. So he's in his 20s. Mm-hmm. He's thriving. There was another article when talking about Peter. And it says, it's from Channel 10 News, and it's called 20 Years Later, Evil Killing a Powell Family Resonates. Powell's the town that they were living in. Mm-hmm. This is from 2017 as well, probably right around the time when Karam was trying to get her yeah. her appeal processed. Peter Lilyled does not remember what the killers did to him and his family. He has no recollection of how six young Kentuckians met the Powell residents at a rest stop off of Interstate 81 in Greene County on April 6, 1997, how they forced them into their van, followed them to a quiet road off of the Baileyton exit, lined them up along the ditch, and then shot them with two pistols. A woman named Gina Stafford, who covered the case for the Knoxville News Centennial and befriended Peter and his extended family, said the young man is happy, well-adjusted, and content to live thousands of miles away among relatives in Sweden. Stafford, now a spokeswoman with the University of Tennessee system, spoke by phone late last month with Peter on behalf of 10 News. She said that she asked him if he wanted to say anything to the people in East Tennessee who have thought about him and wondered how he was doing 20 years after his family was attacked. Quote, 
He said, not really. I feel my life is what it is and I'm happy with it, but it's touching to know there are people somewhere else that you can't meet and know by name who care a lot about you. And I appreciate that. It's nice to hear people still care. Wow. End quote. I'm glad that he wasn't old enough to Me remember too. that. My God. Me too. That would, that's so traumatic. And yeah. even to know that that happened. Well, sure. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. And know that you don't have your family, mm-hmm. you know, but just imagine if he actually remembered it right. and could see that yeah. in his mind. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that's, that is the Lily Led murders, the Kentucky Gothic murders, the roadside murders, whatever you want to call it. That was the brutal, horrific, senseless murders of the Lily Led family. Crazy. I had never heard of that before. Neither had I. I don't I don't know how. I don't know either cuz it huh. seems like it's probably been in the news multiple times since right. we've been alive. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. You well, guys will have to tell us job. if you had ever heard of that. Thank you. What? But yes, the I cut you off. But yes. <laughs> Let us know if you guys know about that. I think we've got some people in the group from Tennessee, I can't remember who. Yeah, and also you guys will have to let us know if you know about the hillbilly days. Yeah. <laughs> Side go. note. Somebody Side take note. me. I believe they were canceled in 2020, but uh, they are yeah. on track for 2021, We'll honey. see. We'll see. Yeah, so what are you reading, watching, listening? Tell me all the things, Katie. All right, so last night, Tanner and I binge-watched the Night Stalker documentary. Mm. We've been talking about that in the group a little bit. Um I, in my opinion, one of the best true crime documentaries I've seen. Really? It is very gory. It's getting a lot of backlash, actually, from the critics gore? about the gore. And it's it's not reenactments. It's the actual crime scene photos. Wow. Lingering shots on the on the photos. But I feel... I, I already knew we covered Richard Ramirez. Right. So, right. I mean, right. I kind of knew I had never seen the crime scene photos, not these ones it focuses more on the investigation and it was really really cool to see how it played out from the actual detectives working on it yeah absolutely i'm sure through their eyes and is the... it multiple episodes then i think it's four gotcha so it's like a mini docuseries yeah okay yeah gotcha yeah we watched three last night and got up and immediately put the last one on um it was really really good though and i learned some things i was telling you i wish i would have watched it before we did our episode yeah but i mean we're not the detectives that worked on the fucking no case. how could we know right. that the, um, that information right right and it was really interesting to see the survivors yeah and the family members of the victims it was it was really well done i always love a good survivor story <laughs> there was this woman on there her name is esther and she was just a resident of la i think and she had a run-in with him in a store. Nothing. She wasn't hurt or anything mm-hmm. like that. She just remembered seeing running into Richard Ramirez before she knew who he was. Sure. And <laughs> you know how he had groupies and shit. Yes. After he was arrested. Yes. And all these women were showing up and writing him and sending him pictures. Despite his fucking rotting mouth. <laughs> I know, right? I don't get it. <laughs> Esther had a quote. In this, in this documentary that just fucking killed me. She said, I'm sorry, but I think they're the dumbest bitches ever. <laughs> talking about <laughs> okay, the women Esther, in love with Richard. I love that. I know. She's just saying what we're all thinking. Honestly. But yeah, you guys should watch that. Uh, that's about it. I'm still reading The Wrong Family slowly oh. when I get a chance. Yes. So, what about you? Well, speaking of that, I'm still on like chapter two or three of The Wrong Family. Mm-hmm. We know how that goes. Um, I finished a book called Three Single Wives by Gina Lamana. I loved it. It was really good. good. If you're looking for a domestic suspense, domestic thriller, I, you could totally pick that up if you want. <laughs> you can totally <laughs> you have to up. buy this book. You yeah. have to. <laughs> that is Three Single Wives by Gina Lamana. Um, she was actually one of the authors in our giveaway that we did on Instagram. Oh, no yeah. shit, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh, that means no I follow shit. her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Um, I'm reading Burning Embers by L.S. Pullen. Yes. We love, love her. her. Um, she she listens to the podcast. It's great. I, got, I think her I writing. I yeah. I haven't started it yet. I think her writing is just fucking phenomenal. I think she's wonderful. I feel like I'm in the book. Yeah. With yeah. her characters, Ali and Rachel. And I just, and, and, and you know, neither of us are like huge fanatics of romance. Mm-hmm. But for her, I will read it. And yeah. I think it's fucking awesome. Yeah. And I just, I love her story. I love her storytelling. So I'm reading that. That is called, you guys, if you want to support. Actually, I have a few copies, ebook copies. So all you have to do 
is go and follow her group. I'll if you if you're interested in getting a copy, it's very simple. Message me. I'll tell you how to do it. There you go. Um, let's see. So I'm reading that. I started Bridgerton. You wanted me to watch that. The show. Yes. yes Bridgerton, the show, not the books. Um, Have you gotten any further from last no, time? No, not from last time we <laughs> talked. Um, it's okay. It's yeah. whatever. You yeah. know, it's not something I can't live without. I thought it was entertaining. Yeah, definitely. You know? If if I um, have time, I will yeah. keep watching it. All right. You can send us an email. We need your stories. We need your stories. Get that shit done and on my desk by 5 p.m. <laughs> no, you can send us an email or a story at cruelandunusualthepod at gmail.com. You can check out our Instagram at cruelandunusualthepod. Our merch and stuff about our books and all of that. Our Patreon shit. Cruelinkmedia.com. I tweet. She tweets. At cruelunusualpod. And come join our Facebook group that is Cruel and Unusual colon the group. Oh, Casey, I just saw that you put a Twitter question up. So that will go on our one for next week. It's going in our queue. O-T-D-W-Q. <laughs> okay, God. Someone <laughs> take us. We love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.